I ask you to do two things this morning to get us prepared for uh, thinking about what we're going to be talking about today. Number one, pull out your Bible if you have it and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 21. Secondly, if you have a bulletin, which I hope you do, uh, pull out the sheet that's the outline for today, and I want you to use it in a little bit different way than you usually do. If you don't take, normally take notes, you still need it today, okay? So we're going to be using uh, that today for a couple of things. Also, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, I'd encourage you to bring a Bible with you each week to look at God's Word in the context because I can only give you the scriptures of the week. But uh, sometimes the context of what comes before and comes after is important as well. And you can look at that as well. But if you don't, you have, uh, if you don't have a Bible like one, let us know. We'll give you one. And, uh, but also, um, each week on the bulletin outline, we have the scripture there for the day as well. Now, um, as we continue along, this series talking about the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus told that so often um, he told in a context that helped people to understand a deeper truth. Today's story is, is such a simple story, just a few verses in Scripture. The, the, the point of it, I believe, is incredibly obvious. But even though it's very simple and very obvious, I believe it's incredibly important for us as well because it's one of the things that really gets at the heart of what God wants us to be as persons and to do as a church. And so we're going to be looking today at this appetizer as I talk about it already to kind of give us an idea of what we're going to be doing and looking at it in a bigger context with the purpose of what God has called us to as a church uh, this fall and this next year. Um, so let's just look at this together and read through the passage and then I want to talk about it and then talk about the application of it for us today. In Matthew 21, beginning with verse 28, uh, we read these words. It's called the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he, replied, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Then he asked this question, Which of the two did what his father wanted? Very obvious question, very obvious answer. The first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to, be, to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, this little parable, this little story today is really kind of like a play in two acts. What it is, in a sense, it's, it's the, the first act and the second act kind of go together and talk about it and kind of give us an idea. And I kind of want to uh, give you this in a modern terms, okay, today. This first act, in a real sense, is, is like a family sitting around at the breakfast table. As the family sits around at the breakfast table, in that day, uh, the sons worked with the father, helped him, uh, whatever. With the, it was kind of a family business type thing just to survive. And so this was not an unusual request that the father made of the, of the sons. And the father says to the first son in this first act, he says to him, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Now this first son is kind of like a surly kid. Uh, none of us have those kind of kids in our families, but he's kind of a surly kid, and he's dressed in ripped jeans and a t-shirt with a pack of marbles, marlboros rolled up in one sleeve. You kind of get the picture there, and, uh, and, and, he, and he looks up from his Pop-Tart at the breakfast table, and he says to his dad, me, the vineyard, long hours, low pay, no way. That's his response in Act 1. So he gets up to the table, hops on his Harley, goes and meets his girlfriend with all the tattoos and the piercings, and then they head off down the road. That's the first son. 
First response. And then we have in Act 1 also a second, the second son. And, you know, and at this point, the tension around the breakfast table is kind of high, and that's a strikingly rude response for a son to make. So the father turns to the other son who's dressed in khaki pants with a button-down Oxford shirt eating a bowl of Wheaties. And he's sitting there, and he looks at him. And have you ever noticed how kids, when one kid is like that, like the surly son, the other kid just kind of oozes, you know, warmth and all this stuff, you know? And the second son, the father gives the same command, go work in the vineyard. And the second son says, I will go, sir. You know, really warm, you know. Just for effect, he does that. This second son reminds me of a character from the old television show, show Leave it to Beaver. Uh, you remember, anybody here remember that show? I mean, all, everybody over a certain age remembers Leave it to Beaver. The rest of you don't have a clue who I'm going to talk about. But all those who, were, who just raised your hand, you can explain to the people that don't know the show at all. Leave it to Beaver. You remember in the Leave it to Beaver show, there was this one character in the show, and he was always buttering up adults. And then he would go behind the scenes, and he was totally funny. Remember what his name was? Eddie Haskell. Eddie Haskell. The second son reminds me of Eddie Haskell. He's an Eddie Haskell before Eddie Haskell was even invented. He was a son who, you know, said the right words and, and buttering up. He was, Eddie Haskell was always just buttering up adults, you know, going to Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, and yes, sir, you know, and then going out and doing whatever. He didn't care. He was a phony. He was a phony is what he was. You know, so he's kind of like that. And the second son, you know, he kind of like he's going like, the vineyard, it would be an honor for me, Dad, to go out there and work today. Matter of fact, during my lengthy private devotions this morning, I was thinking what a wonderful thing it was to go out and work in the vineyard. He was just buttering it up. He was saying all the right things. That was an act one. But there's a second act to the story, to this parable, to the thing that Jesus is talking about here. And in the second act, the first son, the surly one who's gotten on his Harley and ridden off, all of a sudden, he can't get his father's words out of his mind. He thinks of all that his father has done for him and what his father means to him, and his heart begins to soften. And his stubbornness melts. And the word picture that Jesus uses here is the word that means to repent. He says he changes his mind. He repents. And so he says his son repents. And he goes to the vineyard, even though initially he said, no way, now he goes to the vineyard. And probably the dad's hugely surprised because he didn't think it's going to happen. And his dad's working in the vineyard and suddenly the son shows, number one son shows up and the dad thinks, well, that's the last person in the world I thought that would be here today. You just never know. But then the father notices something else. Number two son is not there. The son that said all the right words, the son that, that, that buttered him up, the son that had all the, you know, uh, that initially seemed to be the one who was compliant, he doesn't show up. Eddie Haskell just doesn't show up that day. He said all the right words, but he doesn't show up. And, and, and he never shows up in the vineyard. He was so cheerful and compliant and knowing all the right words to say. But the problem was... As the evening wears on, it becomes clear he never intended to do what he said he was going to do. He decided to do his own thing. He was just blowing smoke the whole time. Two sons, one in open defiance, says no to the father's will but repents. 
And he goes to the vineyard. Another son who sounds so right, who talks so smoothly, who knows all the answers, who appears to be doing everything that that is asked of him, and yet his heart, in his heart he has no intention of doing his father's will. Now, this morning, what I want you to do with your bulletin, I want you to to take it. If you want to take notes, that's fine. But I want you to reserve a spot in there, maybe on the backside or somewhere, to do something. Because I shared with you that each week we want to have a way of actually responding to the message that God has for us. Because in James, it says that we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So this is the doing part today. It's not going to be at the end. It's going to be during the message today that I want you to think about something. And I want you to let you know something. This is something that's between you and God. Whether anybody else sees this is up to you. So you can be incredibly, brutally honest because it's between you and God. If you can't be honest with yourself, you can't be honest with anybody. So this is what I want to let you know right up front this morning. So this is for you. This is not anybody else is going to see this. Let me ask you this morning. Do you have any place in your life that you're aware of that you are not perfectly conformed to the will of God in? You want to make a list? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Is there any areas of your life that you're... Because, you know, the purpose that Jesus came was not so we could go to heaven. (gasps) No, so that we could be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's what it says in Scripture. It means we become like Christ, that while we live upon his earth, we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And so the point of the story here, the point of this parable is very simple. You know, it's not about saying the right things. It's about doing the right things, trusting God in your life for the right things. So I want to ask you this morning, I'm going to give you a minute this morning on your bulletin somewhere to take. And I want you to write down, start writing down. Maybe by the end of the service, you'll finish. Start writing down. Think about what is, the, what is an area of my life that I have not conformed or not given totally to, to God's will. Let me give you some examples. Uh, maybe it's your temper. I'm just giving you something like, like you need to be prompted or something. But the issue, your temper, I mean, do you get angry at stuff all the time? It, I mean, God says, be angry but sin not. I mean, it's, it's all right to be angry, but how do you deal with your anger? Uh, maybe it's your tongue. Maybe you, hey... Let me tell you, one of, the, one of the most destructive sins that we have in our world today is gossip. Do you use gossip? I mean, is prayer request, you know? You know how you can use prayer requests for gossip? You talk about somebody, with, it's about somebody, pray for somebody without being a part of the solution. Is gossip a problem with you? Is something you're not giving to God your tongue? Do you say words that come out of your mouth you wish you could stuff back in later on? Maybe that's an area of your life where you've not given it to God and said, God, help me to control my tongue because I know it is, words do hurt me and hurt others as well. Maybe it's an area of attitudes. Maybe you just have a bad attitude. What is it that, that, that allows us to not, uh, what is it that, that in my life that I'm not really conformed to the image of Christ, that I'm not really Christ-like in? I mean, the way I hold on to things, am I greedy? What is it? So begin to write down some things this morning. I want you to do that because I want you to do something with that in a little while. I want you to have something tangible on your list. And I think all of us, I've got a list. I've already done my list, okay? It took me two hours. Literally. Just sit and ask God, okay, God, what are some things in my life that you want me to, 
to want me to, I'm not conformed to, the, to, to God's will in. Perfectly conformed to God's will in. I love this prayer I heard. It's called a prayer for today. It kind of gives us the attitude of where we are. Many of us are. I think all of us are. Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. However, in a few minutes I'm going to get out of bed. And I will need a lot more help after that. Amen. Where is it in our life that we may look great on the outside, but man, we need some help with in regard to conforming to the image of Christ. In your quiet moments, in your, in, in your secret place, where is it that God, once again, this is not between you and anybody else, it's just between you and God. Where is it that you need to conform to the image of Christ and more? Write some of those things down. This morning, as you think about those and write those down, and you can continue to do that along the way, I want to talk about this, this, this parable because this parable really deals with something that we're going to be dealing with as a part of the process of what we see God doing in the life of our church over the next few years. One of the things that this parable talks about, that there's, there's this process of transformation that happens in the Christian life. This process of transformation that God doesn't just want us to show up at church on Sunday mornings. You know, that's not the purpose of Christianity. That's not why Jesus died upon a cross, so we could have a nice church building and show up in church. He wants to transform our lives, and he does it through a process. And so this, in a real sense, kind of gives us the process. Let me share with you just a really simple three-step process that points back to, and we see it lived out in these verses here and in Scripture itself. The first part of the process of getting from doing, uh, from me getting from doing my will to saying to God, do thy will. The first stage is, the, is what I call confrontation. Confrontation. Uh, or see, seeing truth. You know, I, I just asked you, I said, you know, where is it in your spirit that you know that there's some areas that you just, you know that are there, you don't think about them too much, but you know there's some things that need to change in your life. We have to be confronted sometimes with the truth. Most of the time, we know what the truth is. We've kind of been living with it for a while. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever done this? You bought a house, and it's a, it's a even, let's not say a new house, but a house is existing, and you bought a house, and you move into it, and immediately there's some things in the house you really don't like. I mean, like that trim around that door is not right. That, that handle on that door is kind of shaky, or, or the, you know, the, 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 the lever on one of the commodes just doesn't work real well. And it just irritates you to no end. But after a while, you kind of get used to it. You kind of live with it. It's kind of there. And finally, 10 years later, you decide to sell the house. And so you start looking around. You're going, oh, I got to fix that. I've been living with it for 10 years. But I got to fix that because it'll never, they, they won't like that. And so all of a sudden, you become aware of it. You're confronted with the truth. This doesn't work right. I mean, you just kind of got used to living with it. That's what happens in our, in our life in regard to sin, in regard to this area of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. If we allow ourselves, what happens is after a period of time, we just kind of live with it. It becomes something normal. You know, it's all right. You know, I don't really see myself as greedy or I'm not a gossip, or I'm not a somebody who does this. And you can name every potential sin there is. I don't know what, you know, I'm sure we cover them all in here. But the issue is, 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 is we become kind of, uh, kind of jaded to those things. 
And the thing we have to do, if God is going to begin the process of dealing with and transforming us, it begins with confrontation or seeking uh, or seeing truth. In verse 31, when Jesus, how he uses, it's kind of interesting here. He tells this little story about, the, about these two, two, two sons. And then he says this. It's kind of strange. He says this in, in verse 31. He says, uh, he asks the question first, which of the two did the father, uh, did what the father wanted? And of course, they answered the question, the first. You know why he did this? Because he had just had a confrontation with, the, with these teachers of the law. And he asked a question, and they didn't want to deal with the truth. Because the truth hurt. And finally, he asked them this incredibly simple question they had to answer because they look incredibly stupid if they didn't know the answer to this question. And they had to answer the question. And then he says to them this, he's in the second part of verse 31, he says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Who's he talking about here? Ahead of who? Who's he talking to? Anybody know in this passage? He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the pastors, the church leaders, all the good religious people. He's saying, you know, what happened is John the Baptist, and he talks about John the Baptist coming and, and, and confronting them with the truth. And when he confronted them with the truth, he said, you know, what happened was, the truth was, is that you, you were confronted with the truth and how you dealt with the truth was this. It didn't change you one bit. You just went on your merry way. But the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they responded. They repented. They changed. They're the ones who are connected now with God. Not you people who, not you good church people. And so he asked them that hard. We have to be confronted. The first process that we have to deal with in our lives for us to begin the process of transformation is to be confronted with truth. To ask ourselves, the things we've been living with for a long time that we've kind of gotten used to, we have to, have, to have, have to be confronted. Now, how does God do that in our world today? We don't have John. I haven't seen a John the Baptist running around, you know? John the Baptist ran around and he confronted everybody. He confronted the, uh, the sinners, he, uh, tax collectors, prostitutes. He confronted the religious leaders. He even confronted Herod, the governor of the re region. You know, it'd be like if you was John the Baptist going out and confronting, you know, well, Bogovich, he's already been confronted. But uh, whoever, you know, uh, Quinn or, or whoever happens to be the, 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 uh, the leaders of the country. He, he went out and did this. But we don't have that today. So how does God work? How does God work in our lives to confront us with truth? So let me give you some examples. These are the things he uses, I believe, today. Number one, Scripture. Why is it important for believers to read Scripture? So we can know the Word. Yo, know the Word and do the Word so that God can confront us. Have you ever been reading Scripture and all of a sudden you don't like what it says because it confronts you with truth? Anybody ever done that? Both hands, okay? Every day. Not every day as harshly as other times, but God, God uses his word, number one, to confront us with truth. If you're not reading God's word, one of the reasons you may not be reading God's word is because you don't want to know the truth. I can tell you from my own experience in my life, when I've had these dry times in my life of being, seeming far from God, is one of the things I tend to do is shy away from reading scripture because scripture will nail you to the wall. Scripture, God does it that way. Secondly, worship. 
You know, sometimes we think worship is just coming in here and singing songs and going through the motions. Do you think about the words that you're singing? I thought about, I was sitting, I was backstage this morning and I was listening to the words of the songs and I thought about how many of those songs that if we really thought about what they're saying, could we really sing them with a lot of enthusiasm? Because sometimes we don't like, like the truth. It feels good to sing or whatever, but let's think, it's not about the, the music, it's about the words. You know, some, one writer said, I, I like, I, uh, you know, it's not, there is no such thing as Christian music, meaning the style, because it's the words, it's the lyrics that mean, that's the, that's the meat of the, of the gospel there. That's what God wants us to understand. The, the musical style is just, it's just, rap, it's just a wrapping around it that presents it to people. So sometimes God, you know, I've been in worship before. I, I shared a story before when I was down at Flamingo Road Church and down in, down in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, years ago. And God had a transforming moment in my life. And they sang the first song, the first song of a, of a, of a, of a, of a um, three-day seminar. And the first song was, I will never be the same again. That was the first part of the words. And it, the words of the song just, and I was weeping. I was, God used it to, to touch my heart in such a way, a powerful way, to confront me with the truth. Does Scripture, does worship. Teaching. Man, I hope that on Sunday mornings and, on, and in small groups when you're, you know, reading, I hope that sometimes all of a sudden some, you know, God will speak to you in some way. I mean, I, can I tell you how many times over the hundred years I've been preaching not quite, but close, uh, that, that somebody, and I'm going like, man, I don't know what, you know, I don't remember saying that, but people will come out the door and say to me or, or email me during the week and say, man, you were preaching just to me. That God's word spoke to me in such a way that it confronted me with the truth in my life. And God uses that teaching that's why every week I have a, ser a series of different pastors nationally that I, that I get podcasts for, and I listen to their messages because I need God speaking truth into me through, through uh, uh, good teachers as well. That's a discipline I have in my life that I do on a regular basis. I need God to speak to me through teaching. But look, primarily I believe that this confrontation happens in, in a different setting. It happens through a brother or a sister in Christ who knows you and loves you and you have a relationship with that makes a difference in your life. Uh, it happens, and that's why, let me, let me explain something to you. In a few weeks, we're going to be promoting, actually a couple of weeks, we're going to be promoting small groups. The purpose of small groups is not just to study the Bible. That's one purpose. The purpose of small groups is to help us to understand God's word, to do God's word, and to be accountable to each other, to build relationships, healthy relationships. And it won't be with everybody in the group. It might be with one other person in the group that you say, I want to, you know, spend some time with this person. Guys with guys, girls with girls. That's the rule, okay? But I want to spend some time with this person because I, want to, I, I really trust this person. I built a relationship with this person and they can speak the truth to me because I, they can usually see things that's there on the surface that sometimes need to be spoken to me. They, need to, they can speak the truth in love to me. I mean, let me tell you, we want to go to another level with that in our life of our church. We want to realize that all of us need people in our lives, accountability partners, coaches. You know, we have this thing now in the world today called life coaches. You know, you know where that came from? 
New Testament, Paul, Timothy, a person who is you're accountable to, a person that, that speaks into your life, that helps you through life. All of us need those. I've had accountability of partners for the last 20 years because I need somebody to look me in the eye and say, you are, you know, I love you, but, and then they'll speak the truth. They'll confront me with the truth. And we believe that's something we need to go to another level with in the life of this church. Every person here needs to have that kind of relationships with people, whether it be through a small group, an accountability partner, some kind of a process of coaching, whatever it may be. So the first step in God working in our life is this, this whole thing of confrontation. The second step, and I, step, I have to go through these pretty quickly, is this. It's, it's the whole idea of con, uh, once we see confrontation or see the truth, the second stage is the response or the act of saying yes. The act of saying yes. I mean, you can, you can be confronted with the truth all day, but if you never say yes, I mean, the two sons, which both of them are confronted with truth, right? The first one said no, but then turned around and said yes. The second one said yes, then turned around and said no. Which one really said yes? Is that a trick question? No. You know, his, the first one, one's yes was a no, and one's no was a yes, eventually. The issue is, is sometimes if we really want to change our life, we have to come to a place of saying, yes, I really want to change. So, the things you wrote down earlier on your list, you know, here's some things I'm not conformed to the life of Christ in, uh, the image of Christ in my life. Let me ask you a question. It's not my question, it's God's question. Do you want to say yes to that? Do you want to change in those areas? If you've been confronted with the truth, you sit down, you begin to write down some things. Do you want to say yes to them? If you really want to say yes to them, write the word yes. That's the second step of saying, I want to change. Yes, I recognize the truth. Yes, I want to change. So often in life, you know, the son, this one son claims that he wants to do the father's will, and he, but, he doesn't, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't go. He wants to have God's blessings without obedience. And it doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. And we can look good on the surface. We can con a lot of people. We cannot con God. Regardless of what Andre Agassi said on those commercials years ago, years ago image is not everything. Image is really Nothing. Because image, without it backing up by our lives, is false. See, the only, the only response that actually brings change is that we say yes to God. Yes, I recognize this area of my life. Yes, I want to change. But then beyond that, um, beyond that, once we say yes to God, then the, the process of, of transformation begins. It begins at that point. We're confronted with the truth. We say, yes to God. I recognize the problem. I want to do this. That's what the son, this first son did. He recognized, you know, he recognized his problem. He was rebelling against the father. He recognized it. He eventually said yes. And then he began to act upon the yes. And that's the third step. The final stage of the process that God wants to do is for us to understand that transformation is the result, comes as the result of saying yes to God. It's not immediate. Let me ask you a question. There's things in your life, if, if those things on your list that you wrote down, if you say yes to them, automatically you become perfect in that area? No. Let me give you a biblical example of how that happens. Remember a guy named Zacchaeus? 
Zacchaeus was a wee little man. No, that's, that's a really dumb song. And you learned as a child, if you grew up in church like I did, you know. But the thing is, is that Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Which sin, if he had his list of sins, which sin do you think he most wrestles with that he's not in conformity to Christ with when he comes to him? If you would guess. Greed, thank you. Obvious sin. His number one sin in his life, the problem he has in his life, if he had the list this morning, if he was here, it would be the sin of greed. He's confronted with that fact. So Jesus comes to the tree where he's hiding. He brings him out of hiding. He confronts him with the truth about himself. And Zacchaeus comes out of hiding. He receives uh, Jesus to come into his home. He says yes to Jesus. Was that the end? Yes, Jesus, I don't want to be greedy anymore. I recognize my sin. I am greedy. I recognize who I am. I am greedy. He's confronted with the truth. Yes. Is that it? No. Even in that short story, it talks about Zacchaeus. What happens to Zacchaeus? Once he says the yes, Jesus begins to, if Zacchaeus is ever going to be liberated from greed, that it has a grip on him, he's going to have to do the opposite of greed, which is to be generous. I mean, if you've got a grip of greed, let me tell you, that is why giving to God is such an important part of us everywhere, but especially in America, <laughs> because it, it, it releases the grip of greed in our life, of becoming generous in our life. And he says, this is what Zacchaeus says exactly in Scripture, the process that he goes through of being transformed from greed to where God wants him to be. He says this, anybody that I've defrauded, I'm going to give them back four times what I've taken away from them. Now, that wasn't a law in that day, okay? One something he had to do. Then he says, plus half of all that I have, he's going to give away to the poor. In addition of paying people back 50% of his possessions, he's going to give away to the poor. That's a fairly radical plan to deal with his greed. But let me ask you, do you think once he began to do that, do you think it began to, uh, to break the grip of greed in his life? Being generous will, will, will break that grip in your lives. You see, he didn't start a process of change, of liberation from greed, the emergence of, by simply saying yes. It, that began that, but he had to do something about it. He had to, to do some disciplines in his life. One of the things that we believe that we must do in the life of this church is to help each one of you evaluate where you are spiritually, to have a coach in your life who will help you do that and you make yourself accountable to. And then what you'll do is we want to begin, all of us need this, and then to ask, okay, what is the next step in the process of being transformed to the image of Christ? What are the things that I need to do along the way? Because all of us are at different places in our life spiritually. But we need to have a more uh, cohesive process, a, a clear understanding of what needs to be done. And so we believe that's going to be our next step. We're going to flesh that out a lot more this fall as we talk about this as one of the big steps in the life of our church. We're going to talk about a process that we want to take all of you through. And, all, and anybody that comes into the life of Great Oaks, a process of regular evaluation and regular asking yourself, okay, where is it in my life that I need to grow? Where is it that I'm not tr- conformed to the image of Christ? And where is it do, do I need to take the next step, the very tangible next step? And then have some way of helping to follow you up in regard to that as well. All of us need that accountability. You see, 
That same pattern I see in Mark 9, 33, when, when Jesus' disciples, I don't know if you remember that, Jesus' disciples were at Capernaum, and Jesus was in the house, and he asked them, what are you, they were arguing, the disciples were arguing, and he heard the argument, and he asked, what are you arguing about? And they didn't want to tell him, because you know what they were arguing about? Who was the greatest? <laughs> and he confronted them with that. He confronted them. Oh, you guys got a little pride issue, huh? little pride issue here. You need to be confronted with your greatness problem. And so he confronted them with it. And then, then, after, then after a period of discussion, they admitted to him they had the problem. They said, yes, we want to deal with this. So what does Jesus do? Just leave it there? No, we read over in John 13. You know what happens? Jesus shows them how to, how to get, deal with it. He takes a basin and he takes a towel and he begins to wash their feet. You know what he was telling them? He wasn't just doing that for, just because he was going through some religious ritual. He was trying to show them what it means to be humble and what it means to be humble. And when he did that, he was kind of saying to them, I mean, it's kind of hard to be worried about your greatness, dudes, when you're washing people's feet. I'm the greatest foot washer of all. No, he was showing them the next step in the process. He was helping them be transformed into the image of the Son of God. See, the message of this parable is really simple, real simple. The reason Christ came was to transform us, to transform us, our lives. And that that process happens through confrontation, seeing the truth, through response, saying yes, and then entering into certain practices by which transformation begins to take place after we say the yes. You know, Jesus said this clearly in John 15, 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what? What I command. Not if you go to church. I mean, it's, it's important. Church is an important part, but not only for the right reasons. You can do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And see, the Pharisees in this little parable did all the right things for all the wrong reasons. But God says, he said, you're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus even speaks of his obedience to the God the Father in John 6, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. We believe this. I believe this with all of my heart. That the purpose of Great Oaks is not to get people to show up at church on Sunday mornings and sit around and sing songs and to hear teaching and go home and do nothing. The purpose that God has sent us here for as a church is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors, ourselves. And we can never do that in a real tangible way. We can never do those things in a real tangible way unless we are confronted with the truth of our lives, who we are, unless we say yes to the things that we need to say yes to and begin to let Jesus and God transform our lives through a process of spiritual disciplines and obedience to him on a regular, everyday basis. I want to challenge you this morning to do something. That sheet of paper. I don't know how many of you did it this morning. If you didn't do it, shame on you. Um, I don't mind saying that. Um, I'm confronting you with truth, okay, in a loving way. Uh, the deal is this. That piece of paper, if you didn't have time this morning to write down your, your issues, that where you're not conformed to the image of Christ, I challenge you, first of all, to do that. Spend some time. It took me more time than we have this morning to do that. Secondly, I ask you to take that list and begin to say, God, pray over that list. God, is this an area that I'm willing to say yes to? You have to be honest. You may not be willing to say yes to some areas right away because it's a process. 
And then once you take that list, I want you to begin to keep that list in your Bible or somewhere and begin to pray over that list every day. God, these things I've said yes to, I want you to change me and to begin to transform me in these areas and let me to lead me to through your word through through time in worship through time in teaching through uh, another person that if I don't have another person in my life that that I have this connection with to develop that and I want you to begin to change me God and I want you to do it each day what happens tomorrow is probably more important than what happened today because you act upon what you heard. You're, tr- you're confronted with the truth. You begin to say yes. And then God begins to transform you. But only in that process, in that way. My prayer is that God will make every one of us, will transform every one of us in some way, beginning today. No matter where we are with him, we all have a next step. And we all need to take that next step. Its question is, will you? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.